psychotic geeks obsessed with every little detail. It'll never get on the air. Well, I think it's good for a show to go off the air before it becomes stale and repetitive. I've just been informed that we are going off the air. Off air with Emily and Catherine. I need breakfast this morning. Did I bring my lunchbox? I did. Did I put my lunch in it? I didn't. There's kiwis in there. You brought your lunchbox but didn't put lunch in it? I didn't put my frozen lunch, my lunchtime lunch. Mm, I love kiwis so much. They're good cold and warm. Not like warm, but like room temperature. Yeah. Not <laughs> like warm. Like I'm not microwaving them. Well, that's good. Boiling them. What would boiled kiwi taste like? Um, fleshy for sure. Yeah. Why um, does this come up and stay there, the please wait? It did uh-huh. it, and I just move it out of the way. It's over on the two. Okay, good, great. His dad's stupid. Dad is stupid. <laughs> I hate my dad. <laughs> dumb. I like mine. Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. <sighs> we picked him up from the airport yesterday. Oh, yeah. We were sitting there waiting for his plane to land. Mm-hmm. And we were sitting in the cell phone lot, which is by the FedEx airstrip. I got to see, like, seven FedEx planes take off, and I was just so excited. <laughs> You're like, that's got Christmas presents on it. Mm-hmm. I was like, whoa, look. And Christopher was, like, sitting on his phone. And I'm like, there's another one. <gasps> there's another one. And he's, he's like, yeah. It was, like, the fifth one, and he's like, well, not even. He's like, mm-hmm. Oh. I was like, you don't even care. He's, he's like, like no. we're at the airport. He's like, no, I do, I do. Do I just need to bring you here every day? I was like, yes, that'd be great. We could just sit here for three hours and watch planes take off. I'd be wow. the happiest person in the world. Have you eaten at the hangar in town? No. Okay, well, you know, we have an airport. Yeah. And there's a restaurant there. <laughs> and it's just like one side's huge windows so you can watch the airplanes go. Oh, my gosh. I know. You should check it out. I'm gonna. We didn't double check to see if we had we each other's stores. I can guarantee you we don't. Frick. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I can guarantee it. Okay. All right. Hey, look at this little kiwi spoon, though. That's really cute. It's a, like an actual kiwi spoon, mm-hmm. like made for kiwis. It came in my box of kiwis. Man, what? that is some juicy manchin I'm doing right now. <laughs> You're fine. <laughs> right in your face. Okay. All right, so. Hello. Hello. Welcome back. Good morning, everyone. Good afternoon. I don't know. Hello. <laughs> oh, still sticking with hello. <laughs> um, I'm Emily. I'm Patra. And this is another episode of... Off air with Emily and Patra. That's and it. And it's Christmas Eve. Oh my goodness. I'm Merry, excited. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Emily. Merry Christmas, Patra. <laughs> oh. So murder. So murder. Here Best we go. Best of murders. Okay, we're All just right. jumping right into it today. Um, it's up to you. Hmm. Fine. All right. You want to babble? Do I'm we have anything to about. discuss? Thank you for letting me use your nail polish. I did notice when I you really were, love it. When you were turning, why is it so good? I it's don't like know. four years old from Claire's in the mall, which is now like no longer even a mall. Mm-hmm. Claire's, which we love. Yeah. And you have to put it over. It's black, but you have to put it over a black. Mm-hmm. It's so. And it's like extra sparkly without being like super duper duper like insane sparkly. And it comes off really easily. Oh, that's good. It's not like the it's glitter kinda, that's chunky yeah. and you have to like flake it off. It's kind of got that like glittery texture to it, mm-hmm. which which I was worried. I was like, oh, this is going to be a pain in the ass to take off. But now that you say it, I'm happy. It kind of like sandpapers itself right off because it's so fine. The that's glitter good. is. Yeah, yeah, it's really Anyway, I, I would like to use it on my toenails, but I still have two toenails missing. Oh, they, yeah. ooh, one of them grew in like extra thin. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping it grows in again thicker. 
because it, it it's weird and I can't paint it. I feel like it dissolve it. <laughs> <laughs> like absorb it into your toe. Yeah. <laughs> like the little nail would just. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, my thumbnails broke. Well, my one thumbnail broke yesterday morning. Like it split and mm. I, I, it split down kind of towards the nail, the bottom mm-hmm. of my thumb. I don't like that. I don't know what it, I don't know. And it's still, I mean, they're not, it's not like they're like unbelievably short compared to everything else, but they're shorter than they were. Mm-hmm. And I had to trim it. And then I was like, I was like, I'm not I'm just going to leave the other one. And then it's like, it was like, I kept playing with it. I was like, this one's too short and this one's not. And I was uh, like, so I had to trim my other one. I was real sad. That would bother me with texting because, you know, you have to hold your thumbs or anything. Mm-hmm. I always keep my thumbnails a little bit shorter than the rest of my nails. Yeah. yeah. Texting this morning was weird because it was like, mm-hmm. I've, I've obviously been accustomed to having a little longer nail and then they're just like yeah you have to angle your thumbs a little Mm, differently (laughs) yeah it's stupid okay i'm gonna go first this time and correct okay tell me a story it's not a fun one it's all right i mean it's sad kind of anyway on christmas eve 1992 four young people because they're not all kids they're like teens early 20s okay okay Laura Taylor, 16, and her boyfriend, ready for this name, Marvelous. Keen. Marvelous. Marvelous. It's M-A-R-A-V-A. Yeah. Marv-a-lus. All right. Keen, 19, joined by 20-year-old Heather Nicole Matthews and her boyfriend, 17-year-old Demarcus Smith. Um, what did I say? <laughs> you so far, you've just given me names. <laughs> okay. Um, they just, frick, hold on. You're fine. Hey, can you turn me up a little bit? Uh, yes. Thank you. Oh, is that it? Is that the one? No, that's not it. That's not it? I don't think so. Yeah, I guess it is. Why do I sound so... Uh, oh, yeah. You weren't plugged in all the way. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, okay. And 17-year-old Demarcus Smith started out on (laughs) a crime spree that left uh, four people dead, two injured, and scored them a plaid coat, a pair of sneakers, and $44. Seriously? Seriously. That's it. That's it. Um, Doyle Burke, a Dayton homicide detective who worked the case, said it will never be forgotten by the public because it was so heinous and so sinister. Even, I, I, I'm sorry, I like how he said this. He said, even in the light of the things that are going on today. I just, it sounded so like, mm-hmm. kids today. I don't know. <laughs> These meddling kids. <laughs> Um, All right. In the early hours of Christmas Eve, Laura Taylor, 16, and her boyfriend, Marvelous, put in play a plan to rob a man Taylor figured would pay them for sex. Taylor, 16, who was said to be tough as nails and the brains or the leader of the group, called Joseph Wilkerson, 34, and promised him stuff, Mm -hmm. some things. As part of the plan, the couple recruited, why did I delete their names? Oh, no. Heather Nicole Matthews and her boyfriend, who was 17. I don't know why I moved that from there. And Heather had been released from prison just a few months before. Oh, okay, So great. she's 20 and her boyfriend's 17. For me, when I was a teenager, that would have been a weird situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 17-year-old boy and a 20-year-old woman who'd been in prison already. Yeah. Where's that 17-year-old boy's mom? Yeah. I'm mad. That's weird. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. They met at Wilkerson's home, the victim, and as... He was bound to the headboard in his bedroom with electrical cords, so she must have promised him something. Uh, the group scoured the house for valuables and found a 32 caliber Derringer that Keene used to shoot Wilkerson in the chest, according to police mm-hmm. records. Um, Heather Nicole Matthews would later testify at her trial in 93 that Taylor 
put a 25 caliber weapon to Wilkerson's head and shot him a second time. The group ransacked his house, stole his car, and used it to hunt for more victims. On Neal Avenue, they found 18-year-old Danita Gullett talking on a payphone. Danita was a senior at Patterson Cooperative High School and the mother of a two-year-old. Um, at least one account would later say she was shot for her Fila tennis shoes. Oh, my gosh. I know. I know. So taken from Danita Gullet were her coat, her shoes, and a backpack containing 50 cents. Wow. 50 cents. Really? I know. Police found her body on the ground outside the telephone booth, shot five times. The pavement was covered with blood and a 24, 24 caliber. That's not a thing, is it? 25 caliber bullet shell casing. Aluminum. Anybody writing this down? I don't know. <laughs> the casings would help investigators tie the events together along with random, it says random nature, along with like debris from the crime scene. Right. Who, who was, who's saying these things? They attempt to claim one more Christmas Eve victim, Matthew's ex-boyfriend, Jeffrey Wright. Smith put four bullets into Wright's leg, according to police, but he escaped to a neighbor's house and survived. What so they've, in the world? They've got Wilkerson's car, and they're just driving around looking for people to kill. Jeez. The group would return to Wilkerson's house and stay the night. Detective Burke said the Wilkerson killing gave them a base of operation and, like, transportation to go do more crap. Mm. On Christmas Day, the 16-year-old Taylor coaxed her ex-boyfriend, Richmond Maddox, 19, from his parents' home, and the two left in his car with Keynes and Smith and Matthews following behind in Wilkerson's car. Mm -hmm. um, her ex-boyfriend, Maddox, eventually spotted the trailing car, became suspicious, and gunned the accelerator. Taylor put the Derringer to his right temple and fired. She's 16. What in the He's driving. heck? Yeah. Then she bailed out of the car before it crashed. Maddox was later declared dead from a gunshot wound to the head. This girl. What is happening? I mean, come on you? now. Come on. Oh, my Atlanta. Um, a day later, Sarah Abraham, mother of three, became the fourth victim of the group. Abraham was behind the counter at the Short Stop Mini Market, the family-owned grocery store on West 5th Street. That's so important. When Taylor walked in to case the place. Of course it was her. Mm -hmm. Minutes later, Smith and Keene walked in, and Keene shot Abraham twice in the head. The weapons bullet, similar to the casings found next to Danita Gullett's body on Neal Avenue. A witness in the store was shot in the hand and stomach, but survived. Abraham died five days later. Oh. That's five long days. You know that. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where they got their $44 from the Mini Mart. Mm -hmm. So, you know, big money. Oh, my God. <sighs> Moving Making around me. the city, the gang switched license plates on multiple stolen vehicles to elude police. So they're like, ditching Wilkerson's car and getting other cars, swapping mm -hmm. plates and all that. So when I get when I got my uh, new car, new-ish car, it was like months ago now, but mm -hmm. um, I had my old car's plates on it. And until I, like, got everything switched over, I was for sure, I knew that I was going to get pulled over and someone would think I'd stolen the car because mm -hmm. I had different plates. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Did you? Um, no. Oh, that's good. I know. Never arrested or anything. I mean, not for that. Okay. Um, thinking some within the group might switch, the four ringleaders then turned on two of their own. Wendy Cottrell, 16, and Marvin Washington, 18, two acquaintances who were aware of the crime spree but not super involved were picked up by the crew. They had brought some beer and wine with them. Keene saying he had to pee, pulled into a gravel yard. Smith and Keene ordered 
these two newbies out of the car, marched them behind a large pile of dirt, no. and shot them. My, why? So they were just some kids who, like, knew that these kids were bad, and they were like, oh, they might, you know, turn us in or say something, so let's go grab them and kill them, too. Stop. <sighs> I know. Maybe just stop killing people. Hey, good idea. <laughs> uh, their bodies would not be found until the killers were in custody. So, like, they had to tell them, hey, this is where we killed these guys. <laughs> Uh, Cottrell and Washington marked the fifth and sixth victims of the killer's rampage. A woman airing up her tires at a Salem Avenue gas station might have been the seventh, but she ran when they stole her Dodge Shadow at gunpoint. Good for you, girl. About 72 hours after the first killing, Dayton Police Sergeant John Huber eyed a suspicious vehicle, that Dodge Shadow. Um, Smith, Keene, Matthews, and Taylor were all inside. Huber called in a plate check, and when the registration didn't come back to a Dodge Shadow... Units closed in from all directions. That's what I knew was going to happen to me. Units were going to close in from all directions. <laughs> all directions. <laughs> um, after so much violence, the gang's capture was fairly uneventful. Smith ran into a nearby house but was quickly captured, while the other three were just taken into custody without incident. They're like, oh. okay. Yeah. Huber, who is now the director of public safety for Sinclair Community College, said afterward he learned that Taylor, this girl, mm-hmm had ordered Keene to shoot Huber, but for some reason he didn't. It was a tragic crime at Christmas, a tough time of year, said Huber. It's sad that he we couldn't have gotten to them sooner. There was no rhyme or reason. There was no pattern. Detective Burke said the case exemplifies how homicide squads and uninformed officers working together can solve even the most difficult crimes. Because, like, it was 92, mm-hmm. so there wasn't, like— I mean, there were— Alerts put out, but not like now. So right. you're just kind of driving around looking for a Dodge Shadow, which I had a Dodge Shadow. My boyfriend did in 1995. Dang. There was a ton of those. Like, goodness. Um, Taylor and Matthews are serving life sentences for murder at the Ohio Reformatory for women in Marysville, while Smith is serving a life murder sentence at the Mansfield Correctional Institute. On July 21st, 2009, Keene, who was convicted in Five of the killings was executed by lethal injection at the Southern Ohio Correctional Facility in Lucasville. He had no last words. Ooh, that's spooky. (sighs) It is spooky. Okay, so my issue with this is that Keen executed fine. Do that. This 16-year-old girl, what was her Mm -hmm. name? Something. Taylor. Taylor. I want to talk to her. (laughs) I want to know what she's doing right now. Laura Taylor. She seems to be, I mean. What happened? Like, yeah. what, bro- what broke in her? What happened? It says she's tough as nails and the brains or the leader of the group. Clearly, but 16, she was the youngest one. And she's got these, like, 20-year-old men, like, doing stuff and— Bending sh- over backwards, for- killing people Killing people, people yeah. And she was able to be like, hey, you know what? We could totally just, like, get this guy to let us come over to his house and we can kill him. What? What, what, what happened? happened? Yeah. What's happening? Yeah. That's, I don't like it's that insane. one. It's insane. I know, I told you it wasn't good. I have so many questions. Why? Why? How dare you? Yeah. Why? Well, yeah. What happened? So, the one guy. Mm-hmm. The one. Keen. Keen. What was Marvelous. He, how old was he? 19. Okay, so that's why he got. Because he was over 18. Yeah. The other two were, Taylor was 16. 16. The one guy was 17. 17. And then 20-year-old Heather Nicole Matthews, who had already been in prison. So those three ended up just in jail or mm-hmm. in prison? Life sentences, yeah. Why Why didn't the one girl? I think because she wasn't the shooter. Yeah, that's true. She didn't actually. Keen was the shooter. What yeah. in the world? I'm sorry, I might eat this. Go for it. I'm surprised you waited that long to it eat it. It was hard. <laughs> I was like sitting there, I'm like, 
I'd be sitting there just eating it. Mm. Slurping it up. So um, I didn't like that one because of the 18-year-old at the payphone. That's the one that upset me the most. Yeah. I mean, the mom, yes, we're upset. But the young lady, she's also a mom. The name of her high school makes me think that um, she was at, like, like she was trying to get her life right. You know what I mean? Like, she was a teen mom, and she's going to this cooperative high school, Mm -hmm. so she's probably working part-time and taking care of her baby. And Mm -hmm. she only had 50 cents. Yeah. That's what I don't. I think that's the big one of the biggest things that bothers me is like they're just it's not like they're doing it and not that this is okay, but it's not like they're doing it and robbing somebody who's carrying around a Louis Vuitton and wearing right freaking Christian Louboutin shoes and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't I don't know. I don't know about this Laura Taylor. <sighs> I'm upset with her. I don't like her. Yeah, me either. Is she cute? Do we know? No. I mean, she's cute, but she's not. She's not like, not, oh, my God, Oh, yeah, cute. I'll definitely kill people for you, cute. Yeah, and she doesn't look like she's trying to get anybody to kill anybody, right? Yeah. I mean, you know you can tell. She looks normal. What in the heck? Heather Matthews looks like she could be one of my cousins, though, to be honest. <laughs> Probably hangs out at the Circle K. What in the world? I know. Marvelous. Okay, Marvelous with that name and that facial hair, I can kind of see him getting pulled into, into doing stuff, yeah. doing stupid stuff. Like, mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of that guy. Oh, my golly. I know. And also, Demarcus Smith looks like a 45-year-old man. Yeah, he does. He really does. <laughs> yeah. And he was 17. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, that was it. So, Laura Taylor. Oh, Laura. Mm-hmm. Why did you do that? I don't know. I think she's just one of those people that likes to kill people. Oh, do you want to see a picture of, um, was it Danita? Sure. I know. Oh, sweet baby. I know. I know. And her sister raised the child, of course. Mm. Doesn't she look like a stand-up woman? Like, Yeah. yeah. I know. Mm. I know. Assholes. Agreed. All right. I'm going to let you eat your Okay, kiwi. I'm going to slurp this kiwi up. I have to get this thing up, but you can't look at the screen yet. Whoa. This is like a Christmas present for me, y'all. This is legit going to give it away if you see this. Okay. And I don't want I'm not looking. Can you hear me? I'm sorry. Oh, there's a little bit of fuzzy bit in that pipe. I didn't like it. Oof. I'm not looking. I almost looked. All right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Goodness. Maybe I should just leave that down just in case, like, no. a ghost plays, tries to click it and play it again. All right. You ready? Yes. Okay. <laughs> situated here. Okay. Ahem. I'm okay. so excited. I'm also really nervous. Okay. First thing first, I'm the realist. I was going <laughs> to say that. I'm sure I missed a lot of details on this, and I'm also pretty sure I'm also not 100% confident that I got every detail correct. Ooh. Because it was a lot of info, which you'll find out. I also want to say I pulled almost all of this from a Vanity Vanity Fair article, um, a website called New Idea, and mm-hmm. CNN. Okay. So that's where a majority of this came from. All right. Okay. Thank you to the people that put in the work for me. <laughs> ready? I'm ready. Okay. I'm so excited. Okay. <laughs> John Ramsey <gasps> was raised in Okemos, Michigan. Oh, my gosh. You're so and was the oldest sibling of two boys. He had always been described as extremely quiet and reserved. His mother passed away in the mid-70s, and his father was a decorated World War II pilot who ran the Michigan Aeronautics Commission until he retired in 1979. 
An old neighbor recalls John's father as being very cold, like John was with everybody. Um, at Michigan State University, John became the president of the Theta Chi chapter and married college classmate Lucinda Pash in 1966. He then spent two years in the Navy, stationed in the Philippines, and then he received his master's in marketing in 1971. After that, he moved to Atlanta, Georgia in 1973 with his family to work at a computer company, and Lucinda and John got a divorce in the late 70s. Uh, she claims it was a, roman a romantic fling with a co-worker that was the last straw for her. So... John worked his way through a couple computer companies and was doing well despite leaving the marriage with Lucinda with basically just his clothes and his car. He had money, drove a Porsche, and dressed well. An old friend claimed that he was shy, but whatever he wanted, he usually got. Hmm. In 1977, Patri Patricia Ann Poe, I don't know if I'm going to, I don't know if that's the right pronunciation, but we'll either take way. It. She was crowned as Miss West Virginia and had won a talent award for a dramatic reading at the Miss America pageant. While in school at West Virginia University, she was studying journalism. In 1979, Patsy was 22 years old and had moved to Atlanta. This is when John caught a glimpse of her and decided to pursue her. A friend says that she was his Jackie Kennedy. Okay, so hold on. How old was John? Did it say? He's, um, like, much he's older than her? He's 14 years older than okay. her. Okay. So he's 36 at this okay. time. Okay, okay. Um, in 1980, John and Patsy got married and settled in a Cape Cod house in the Dunwoody section of Atlanta. John worked from home running his own company called MicroSouth and <laughs> MicroSouth and Patsy worked alongside him. Patsy asked her father Don Poe, Pa something, Don to help <laughs> to help her husband's struggling company after a series of business reversals and it said that John was going broke but Don bailed him out. <clears throat> hmm. By the mid 80s, John was working with Don and was doing well enough to move to a colonial home in Dunwoody. And Patsy insisted that both of his daughters from his previous marriage were given coming out parties. Uh, What's that? I think that's like a like a come. It's more like of a, a debutante. Yeah. Thing? Okay. Yeah, like a coming of age. You're now a woman party. I meant to look like that a quinceanera up. or something. Yeah. Okay. I think like debutante ball was kind of the correct avenue. Okay. I meant to look it up, but I didn't. I <laughs> there's a lot happening. <laughs> Uh, Judy Phillips, a friend of Patsy, said that Patsy was involved in Atlanta's Junior League and lady and a ladies who lunch charity called Society, but like it's like oh Society. Yeah, this sounds <clears throat> fucking great. <laughs> <laughs> Patsy also worked up, um, or she also worked up until the birth of her son Burke. Um, Judy said that Patsy had very expensive taste, owning owning 18th century artwork and exquisite antiques. John also had expensive tastes, but mainly when it came to his clothes, and he also liked his toys, owning a boat named Miss America, I wonder who named that, hmm. and a plane, which would be nice to have. Wouldn't that? <laughs> um, in 1989, John merged his company with Boulder-based Access Graphics and another firm. John Benet Ramsey mm. was born August 6, 1990, to John and Patsy Ramsey in Atlanta, Georgia. She was one of five siblings, Burke Ramsey and her half-siblings, John Andrew Ramsey, Melinda Ramsey Long, and Elizabeth Ramsey. So the last three there were from John's previous marriage with Lucinda. Okay. <clears throat> John seized control of the new company and moved his family to Boulder, Colorado in 1991. He then hit the jackpot selling access to Lockheed Martin and continuing to run the company as president and CEO. Patsy's parents mm -hmm. moved to Boulder as well. Yeah, they're like, nah. Which here I we come. Wish my family would move across the country for me. What the heck, guys? Gosh. Just kidding. Where are you at? <laughs> Where you is? <laughs> uh, her father adapted. 
Patsy's father adapted easily, but her mother, Nidra, referred to it as a hellhole. My God, Nidra, yes. <laughs> in November of 1991, John and Patsy purchased a 6,800-square-foot tutor in one of Boulder's choice neighborhoods for about $500,000, which is nearly a million dollars today. Hmm. Over the next two years, Patsy remodeled and decorated their new home, spending about $700,000. Oh, my. Okay. <laughs> their house was listed on the Boulder Christmas tour and on the home tour. Uh, visitors recall remembering, no, visitors recall greeting her at the door with a John Bonet and Burke by her side, all in matching sweaters. Oh, my God. Of course they did. Yep. A family friend, Jim Marino, said Patsy wanted to be where the money was and was climbing the social ladder, replacing friends with attractive, wealthy Boulderites. Hmm. He was never invited over, but he and John would go get a beer. <laughs> he and John would go get a beer at the local pub after work. Um, she also redecorated their vacation home in Charlevoix on Lake Michigan. Ja, uh, Marino said that the only time John would lose his temper was when it came to Patsy and money. He would throw the credit cards on his desk and say she's going to spend every last penny I make. Hmm. A former manager, Jane, Jane Stobie. There's a lot of names in this, so I, no, I, it's I apologize ahead of time. Um, a former manager, Jane Stobie, who worked at Access Graphics before John took over the company, characterized Patsy's spending as Sherman Shopping Atlanta. Which I don't know if that's like an older reference or just like an Atlanta reference. I don't understand I don't know. it. And I also tried to Google it and nothing, like it didn't help. So I'm Weird. assuming like. It's like local. Yeah, it's local and she's just spending all Sherman money. Shopping Atlanta? Mm-hmm. Hmm. And I have no idea. Okay. Um, Patsy often planned social functions for the company and did everything on the grandest of scales. Jane said they saw a bill for a luncheon that she had put together organized around the theme Gone with the Wind. I put Gone with the Wine. Yes. <laughs> Gone with the Wind, and it Same. was over $30,000. For lunch? Mm-hmm. Frick. Adding, she added that the luncheon could have easily been given for between five and $10,000. If I spend more than $30 at lunch, I'm pissed. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I for two people. Than, for two people. If, if I, I spend, spend more than $30 at dinner, I'm right? pissed. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, Patsy's parents' home was a great pride to Nidra, her mother, their living room is described as the as the shrine room, decorated with trophies, ribbons, and photographs of their pageant-winning daughters. Which, if I if I, there were three kids, so it was Patsy, Pam, and Polly. Oh, were, gross! Were the Pashes, Poshes, Poes? Okay, whatever. they were Patsy Poe, Polly Poe, and Pam Poe, and pa Pam Poe. Pam. <laughs> oh, you got screwed, Pam. Yeah. Sorry, homie. Um. Jane said that the family was so was quote so meshed up in each other, and it was my gut instinct that told me something wasn't right there. She continued on saying they were going on and on about the size of Burke's penis. This to me was so bizarre. Nidra's like a little bird, but both Pam and Polly, Patsy's sisters, were a little overweight, and there was slim fast everywhere. What is that? What? Yeah. Um, Burke's the son. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Like. I don't know what timeline this quote, like she remembers this happening, but mm -hmm. um, he's younger he's than He's little. Nine. He's yeah, younger he's a than little nine. kid. Mm -hmm. Let's not talk about his penis. Especially like grandma. What the frick? Uh, Nidra told people, we love spending the money John makes. <laughs> <laughs> like, which I, like, if I could. Me too. Just imagine your mother-in-law. Mm -mm. is quoted telling people out in the community that she loves spending your money. Not your wife, not your child, your mother-in-law. I mean, 
No. What a day. Still, what a day. <laughs> uh, Jane also remembers that when Jean Benet was two, they were already talking about her in terms of being Miss America. Golly. Um, Nidra was driven and relentless when it came to her daughters and was determined that they saw and enjoyed more of the good things in life that she had than she had. Um, mm. Excuse me. Her vehicle for launching them into a lavish life was beauty pageants, as I just, like, belch. <laughs> um, each sister participated, and Nidra had become a fixture in the pageant circuit. She was involved in the whole Miss America pageant system and was, a, as, and was one of the coordinators. Even though Jean Bonnet was a beautiful child, she was not easy. Jane said that they would talk about how incorrigible she was, but at the same time pulled the she's so cute she's going to be Miss America thing. Mm. While John became increasingly focused on his company's skyrocketing growth, Patsy spent her time and energy on Jean Bonnet's career, charities, and shopping. She or which Jean Bonnet is like two, right? Two, three years old. Let's at this focus time. on her career. Yeah. Okay. Remember, you have another son as well. Yeah. Burke with the big dick, apparently. God. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. I'm sorry. That was terrible. But it was great. Okay. She organized several of the programs at her children's schools and offered to underwrite her softball league, Mom's Gone Bad, for its first two years. Oh. <laughs> she developed a tight-knit circle of well-to-do mothers. You know who she reminds, like, this reminds me of? Tell me. That one, the mom, the stepmom off of Parent Trap. Ooh, okay. Like, yeah. that's what I, I mean, obviously I know what she looks like and that kind of stuff, but that's what I picture to be like. It's just mm-hmm. like this real prestigious, everything has to be perfect, regardless of how much it costs. Ugh. And keeping up with the Joneses. Dumb. Um, she developed a tight-knit circle of well-to-do mothers. To the pageant mom, she was close to being royalty, having been a Miss America contestant herself. Gosh. Jean Bonnet's aunt says that Jean Bonnet loved pageants and would have done a pageant every day if Patsy let her, but Patsy said no. Church comes first on Sunday. The other days we'll do pageants or whatever. But Jean Bonnet's former nanny remembers the opposite, stating, mm. she would say to me, I don't want to walk the runway. It scares me. She liked to perform but didn't want to have to compete. Mm. There's pageant videos showing Jean Bonnet strutting seductively down runways. She's been described to men- by many viewers as looking like, quote, a six-year-old Lolita, a pint-sized sex kitten, and daddy's little hooker. Oh, my word. Yeah. Um, Which, A, okay, it's one thing to, like, do Mm. that to your child, but to me it's another thing to make those comments about somebody else's child. Yeah. Like, (laughs) even if, like, that's that's the aura that they're exuding. Right. (sighs) Please don't say it. Yeah. Please don't. Oh, God. Um, in 1992, the Ramses were blindsided by a series of tragedies. On Jan- January. January. <laughs> January. You're just Jesus getting Pete. so fancy. I'm just getting real into this moms. Jean Bonnet thing. Jean Bonnet. On January 8th, John's oldest daughter, Elizabeth, was killed in a car accident at the age of 22. Aww. He was devastated, and Marino said that there was a significant change when she died. He became more introverted. A few months later, John's father passed away. Dang. In the summer of 1993, Patsy was diagnosed with metastasized ovarian cancer. It was at stage four and was located underneath the rib cage. Yikes. She began commuting to the National Institutes of Health in Beth... In Beth... 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 Whoa. <laughs> Bethlehem? Bethesda? Bethesda? Bethesda. Wait. Oh, okay. Bethesda. I was going to say it like that wrestler. Bethesda? Yeah. <laughs> Bethesda, Maryland. I, I it's see, fine. What's funny is when I wrote the Bethlehem. sentence, I was like, Bethesda, that's how it is. And then I just like complete brain fart right there. 
She began commuting to the National Institutes of Health in Bethesda, Maryland for chemotherapy, which they live in Boulder, Colorado. I mean, is that the place to go? The I mean, Maryland it, place? It must be. There isn't a place in Colorado. It seems like Colorado has smart people in it. I mean, you would think. Huh. Um, in 1995, the cancer went into remission, which I mean, if you have money, you can go wherever the hell you want. So obviously it's got to be like a renowned Right, the best, the place to go. In order to afford to go and commute to right. Maryland. Rent a house and live there until your cancer goes away. I don't know. <laughs> um, her illness was complicated by the fact that implants from breast augmentation early in her marriage had ruptured and needed additional surgery. Mm. Following her recovery, she celebrated by having a partial facelift. Who is this? I'm, okay. I mean, I know I've seen her. I'm just going to go look at her face. Okay. P.S. My name is Patra. So glad I'm not a patsy. Yeah. December 25th, the Ramseys, along with Bonet and Burke, had Christmas dinner at the home of their best friends, Priscilla and Fleet White Jr., whom will be referred to as the Whites in the future. The Whites. <laughs> in, about a mile away from their home. Uh, that's where they live. They commuted, okay. went and had dinner, Christmas dinner about a mile away from their home. Families both had a lot in common, which bonded them after Ramsey moved, after John had moved his family to Boulder. Uh, Fleet was a successful tycoon in the oil business. Both families enjoyed sailing, and both had six-year-old girls with older brothers. Mm. Neither of the wives worked, but both were committed volunteers. Did you pull her up? I did. I'm just looking at her um, Miss America picture. She's mm-hmm. pretty, but she's not—she's okay. Yeah, she's not, like, drop-dead— Go back. I want to look at more. And I mean, like her when when she's Jean Benet, a, she's like a normal looking like mom. mom. She's don't get a facelift. Don't waste your money on a facelift. I'm sorry, that sounded rude, but that's a waste of money. Look at her. She's really. She's nothing special. No. Yeah, that's how. I, that sounds she so is rude. So freaking cute. She really is. <sighs> yeah. And the Ramses are said to have arrived home from the Whites' home around 10 p.m. Early morning on December 26th, Patsy called the police reporting that Jean Bonnet had been kidnapped. 
the way she phrases stuff mm-hmm. is like, that's not what you do if there's an actual emergency. Right. You're using way too many words. There's a ransom note. What? Yeah. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. There's just way I, too many words. So, yeah, it was... By the way, I, I, pulled up, I pulled up a picture of Burke Ramsey current yeah. now. You want to see? Yeah, let me see. Ooh. Yeah. He's got that, like, freaking. He looks like his mother. Yeah. Yeah, he does. He's got that freaking, uh, his nose. Jeez, oh, Pete, that yeah. nose. Um, stereotypical rich boy. I was going to say he looks look. rich. Yeah. yeah. Looks like I would steal his money. Look at that. I'd steal that guy's money. Look at that face. Yeah, I'd punch him square in his face. His eyes are creepy. They, yeah. They're like bright blue creepy. Agreed. All right. <clears throat> anyway. <clears throat> Patrol officer Richard French is the one that arrived to the Ramsey home at 5.52 a.m. John led him through the door or through the house and pointed to the free, pointed to the three-page handwritten note that was laying on the wood floor west of the kitchen. Three pages? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I also saw somewhere that it's a two, but two and a half. Okay. Basically three pages. Either way, the ransom note said, and I quote, Mr. Ramsey, listen carefully. We are a group of individuals that represent a small foreign faction. We respect your business, but not the country that it serves. At this time, we have your daughter in our possession. She is safe and unharmed, and if you want her to see 1997, you must follow our instructions to the letter. You will withdraw 1000 You will withdraw $118,000. I can't do those numbers. It's fine. $118,000 from your account. $1,000. You'll oh. take out a $20 gift card. <laughs> Go buy a gift card to Meyer. Visa gift card. <laughs> $100,000 will be in $100 bills and the remaining $18,000 in $20 bills. Make sure that you bring an adequate sized atta- uh, attache. Yes. Thank you. To the bank. When you get home, you will put the money in a brown paper bag. I will call you between 8 and 10 a.m. tomorrow to instruct you on delivery. The delivery will be exhausting, so I advise you be rested. If we monitor you getting the money early, we might call you early to arrange an earlier delivery of the money and hence an earlier pickup of your daughter. Any deviation of my instructions will result in the immediate execution of your daughter. You will also be denied her remains for proper burial. The two gentlemen watching over your daughter do not particularly like you, so I advise you to not provoke them. Speaking to anyone about your situation, such as police or FBI, will result in your daughter being beheaded. If we catch you talking to a stray dog, she dies. If you alert bank authorities, she dies. If the money is any way marked or tampered with, she dies. You will be scanned for electronic devices, and if any are found, she dies. You can try to deceive us, but be warned, we are familiar with law enforcement countermeasures and tactics. You stand a 99% chance of killing your daughter if you try to outsmart us. Follow our instructions, and you stand a 100% chance of getting her back. You and your family are under constant scrutiny, as well as the authorities. Don't try to grow a brain, John. You are not the only fat cat around, so I don't think so don't think that killing will be difficult. Don't underestimate us, John. Use that good southern common so- southern common sense of yours. It's up to you now, John. Victory. SBTC. So <clears throat> All right, we'll just get into this. Okay. The ransom note pages were used were torn from a pad that Patsy kept by the telephone and the one $118,000 was the exact amount, amount of John's bonus that year. Um, okay. Yeah. Stupid. Uh, the ransom note was obviously unusually long 
and the FBI told police that it was very unusual for such a note to be written at the crime scene. Yeah, like if they had all those plans, this is what the bills need to be. There's no way they would just stop real quick and do it like while you're trying to be quick and get in and out. of. I'm sorry, Mm -hmm. getting all worked up. The police believe that the note was staged because it did not have any fingerprints and included an unusual use of exclamation marks and acronyms. The note and a practice draft were written with a pen and pad of paper from the Ramsey from the Ramsey home. There was a practice note? I guess so. Okay. Uh, According to a Colorado Bureau of Investigation report, there are indications that the author of the ransom note is Patricia Ramsey. However, they couldn't definitively prove it. So the first thing that I noticed or that I had read mm-hmm. was the very, pretty much the very first line. It says, we're a group of individuals that represent a small foreign faction. Right. What's a small foreign, like people were like, what is a small foreign faction? That makes no sense whatsoever. Right. Like it's 1996. We're not, Yeah. the Taliban's not out yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. And then, obviously, the specific amount of $118,000. The practice note. Yeah. I want to know what SBTC. Yeah. Like, even if, even regardless of who wrote it, like, what does that mean? Okay. I should have looked that up so you didn't have to do my research for me. (laughs) Serene Bastards of Star... (laughs) No. Okay. Um, I'm looking on Reddit, so please bear with me. Mm. Somebody takes child. <laughs> mm. <laughs> oh, God. Sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, that one. Shall be the conqueror. <clears throat> All right. So they don't have a definitive. Yeah. No. Okay. All right. Officer French said he was struck by how differently the two parents were reacting. John was cool and collected and was able to explain the sequence of events to him. And Patty was, Patsy was sitting in an overstuffed chair in the sunroom and was sobbing. Something seemed odd to him and later recalled that Patsy's grieving eyes stayed riveted on him. He remembered her gaze and her awkward attempt to conceal it, peering at him through splayed fingers over her eyes. Yikes. Yikes. At 5.55 that same morning, John Ramsey woke the Whites, telling them to hurry over. By 6.20, the Whites were at the Ramsey's home, along with John and Barbara Fernie, another couple that was friends with the family, Father Roll Hoverstock, the family's minister, joined later. <clears throat> Several policemen assisted Officer French until 8.10 when Detective Linda Arndt arrived. I'm probably pronouncing her last name wrong, but that's fine. That's fine. Um, the initial team assumed the couple were victims and not suspects. Detective Arndt, who was described as having, quote-unquote, bonded with Patsy, made several critical and possible irreparable errors in judgment. Yes, that's that word. Irreparable errors in judgment. The ransom note warned the couple to not contact the police, but to await a phone call between 8 and 10 that morning. Obviously, they called after reading the ransom note. Mm-hmm. Um, Arndt wrote in her report that between 1030 and noon, John Ramsey left the house to pick up the family mail, uh, which she later saw him open and read. At 1 p.m., <clears throat> when no call had come, Arndt asked Ramsey and Fleet White to follow her to the kitchen. An investigator describes the scene. She said, I want you to search this house from top to bottom. She had barely finished speaking when John bolted from the kitchen and headed down to the basement. Fleet White told us that Ramsey went directly to a small broken window on the north side of the house and paused. Fleet said to Ramsey, hey, John, look at this. And John said, yeah, I broke it last summer. He wanted Fleet to see the window to set up the intruder theory, but no one small child or a midget could have crawled through. Mm. I'm sorry, but no. 
but no one but a small child or a midget could have crawled through that space. While Fleet is looking at the window, John disappears down the hall to a little room. He screamed, and Fleet ran to him. To be continued. <laughs> so, since it's Christmas, and we're just in the loving Christmas spirit. We are super loving. We are going to continue and do a new episode tomorrow. Hey. So, Merry Christmas. You'll get the story of Jean Benet Ramsey as a Christmas present, plus an extra episode this week. Hey, is this my Christmas present? Because it's pretty good. It's one of them. I love it. <laughs> I'm so pleased. So tune in tomorrow. <clears throat> yeah. For part two of JonBenet Ramsey. And Patra has another Christmas story to share with I us. I do. So. And it's good. And I'm going to make fun of her. Just a little bit. Okay. Okay. All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks, um, guys. I'm not going to do a real long goodbye because we'll be back tomorrow. We'll be right back. So, hey, bye. Yeah, bye.